Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Wednesday, September the 20th. And first up today, the Home Secretary is urging tech companies to improve online safety following a visit to Kent Police. Now, Suella Braverman's been to the Digital Forensics Lab in Maidstone. She's accused Meta, which owns Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp, of failing to protect children from abuse. And she's written to bosses. Can I just set out the crisis as I see it when it comes to the risk to children posed uh, by online sexual predators. Uh, Last year alone, there were 32 million instances globally of online child sexual abuse. In the UK, in our country, we arrest approximately 100 predators, perpetrators a month. We safeguard about 1,200 children a month who are victims of this heinous crime. And the the forum of choice is Facebook Messenger and Instagram Direct of these paedophiles. And what they're doing is they're contacting unsolicited children online, they're grooming them, they're manipulating them, and in many instances, they're coercing them into performing degrading, sexual, indecent acts on film, on camera, filming them, uploading that footage or uh, film and sharing it around. It's devastating. I've met victims and survivors of this evil and disgusting crime and it uh, has a huge impact on their families, on parents, it undermines confidence. Now, my priority is to protect children, not paedophiles. And what I'm very alarmed by is that Meta's proposal to roll out end-to-end encryption without safety measures will enable paedophiles to operate in a safe haven. They will prevent and severely disable law enforcement, like the National Crime Agency, from intervening identifying these perpetrators, arresting and securing justice and safety for children. Well, the firm says it spent five years developing robust safety initiatives to prevent, detect and combat abuse while maintaining security. Meantime, after years of delays, the online safety bill is finally going to become law. It's been signed off by Parliament after passing its final hurdle in the House of Lords. The government says the legislation will make the UK the safest place in the world to be online by placing new duties on social media companies. One survivor is 27-year-old Kent resident Danielle. She's now an online safety campaigner. Now she's issued this statement, which we voiced to protect her anonymity. I was only 14 when a man groomed me online pretending to be a teenager. He made me trust him and I arranged to meet him. By the time I realised he was actually 49, it was too late and he sexually assaulted me. It had serious consequences on my mental health and my entire family suffered. It shouldn't have been allowed to happen. I should have been kept safe online. We need this new law to protect all children and teenagers using the internet. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today. And a Kent man's been jailed for five years following a shooting at a restaurant in London. A weapon was fired through the window in Ealing last September. 42-year-old Lee Morgan from Waterside Court in Leybourne is one of four men who've been locked up. A man's due to appear in court today, charged with murdering Canterbury woman Claire Knights. Harrison Lawrence Van Poos was arrested last month and has been remanded in custody.
yesterday at a secure mental health facility in Maidstone. The 20-year-old from Margate is also accused of taking upskirt images of a woman in Birchington. The death of a man in Chatham remains a mystery today after it was ruled there wasn't enough evidence to explain exactly what happened. Dale Simmons was found after falling almost 90 feet near Chalkpit Hill in April. An inquest heard the 42-year-old had been out with his girlfriend before reportedly being chased by four young men. They were charged with manslaughter, but the case against them was dropped. A drug driver who reached speeds of 80 miles per hour on the Thanet Way and tailgated an ambulance has been banned from the roads for two years. A court's been told Alexander Hathaway later crashed the BMW and roadside tests for cocaine came back positive. The 29-year-old from Ashburnham Road in Ramsgate has also got to do 140 hours of unpaid work. Next on today's episode, we've got news that a financial report has revealed Medway Council is very likely to go bankrupt. The Labour group, who've only been in charge for four months, have been told the authority could be in serious trouble if action isn't taken. It's thought they could be facing a budget shortfall of almost £40 million. Well, Abby Hook from our colleagues at KMTV has been speaking to council leader Vince Maple. Look, the report we're taking to Cabinet next week and Cabinet will be debating is looking at our medium-term financial outlook. We inherited a set of circumstances which meant successive council budgets set by the previous Conservative administration used reserves and then overspent on that and at the same time we've had a 91% cut in our revenue support grant since 2010. That means we're dealing with a really challenging set of circumstances. We know because of what we've inherited we're going to have to make some really challenging decisions. Decisions that nobody gets into politics to make but we will do that because the alternative is Michael Gove and his friends coming to run Medway Council. We don't want to see that happen. People voted for positive change and they know what we've inherited. They know the challenges we're up against. Uh, So we believe that although it will be difficult, we believe the people of Medway will understand some of the choices we'll have to take uh, both in the immediate term, but importantly, at our budget meeting in February. So the cabinet and senior managers are working every single day on this, as you would expect. Uh, we'll be looking at everything from the assets that the council has to our fees and charges to the service levels we have on a number of areas. That work is ongoing, as you can appreciate. That is something we can just do overnight. Um, so some of those things will happen and we'll be open and transparent about that. We won't try and hide it away. That's what we believe in as an administration. But most residents will see most of those changes coming forward, I anticipate, at the February budget. But we will have to do some things before then because of this year's budget pressures, which, uh, as people have seen, are currently sitting at around £17 million with only £10 million in reserves. Look, basically, we're, we're looking at everything apart from statutory services. We have to consider everything. If we don't do that, we're not doing our job properly. Um, some of those are really challenging conversations, but that's the right thing for us to do. So uh, when we come forward with those more firm proposals, some of those will need statutory consultation. Some of those may need internal consultation within the council. We'll go through those processes because that's the right thing to do, but we'll be clear with residents why we're taking that decision. And ultimately, it's because we've been left with a financial mess from the previous administration. Well, we can hear now from the man who used to lead that former administration, Alan Jarrett. For 23 years, Labour have been in opposition, have made no contribution to the budget setting process other than to vote against every one of our initiatives. And had they taken a bit more interest 
from the budget process, they might be better equipped to deal with the challenges we face. Now, the challenges, the challenges that are being faced at the moment are similar to the challenges we've had every year. The difference being, Conservative administration were capable of dealing with them. Quite clearly, the Labour administration is uh, every year they voted against our increase in council tax, and now they're saying they haven't got enough money. So this is a, a masterclass in hypocrisy from the Labour group, um, who have shown no interest in finance uh, before, and now they now they've got to um, they've got to deliver the promises they made to the people of Midway. Promises are easily made and not so easy to deliver as uh, Vincent is cronies are finding out. And you can see their report by watching Kent Tonight. Just click on the KMTV pages of Kent Online. Kent Online reports. Junior doctors in Kent have joined consultants in striking. They're walking out as part of a long-running dispute with the government over pay. Health bosses in the county have warned it'll cause serious challenges for services. The health secretary wants to extend a new law to force them off picket lines in future. A man's been taken to hospital after turning up at Canterbury Police Station with a stab wound. He arrived at the site on Old Dover Road in the early hours of yesterday. It's not thought his injuries are life-threatening and an investigation is now underway. A teenager's been charged after an attack in Gravesend left a man in hospital. Police and paramedics were called to Taunton Vale last Wednesday night. The suspect is due in court next month. If you follow Kent Online on socials today, you can see pictures of a man police are hunting after computer printers were stolen from Curry's in Folkestone. It happened at the store on the Park Farm Industrial Estate at the end of July. The suspect managed to get away with almost £500 worth of stock. Now, a Kent dad has been telling the podcast how a kidney transplant changed his life as we mark Organ Donation Week. Steve Eames from Sandwich was diagnosed with kidney disease 16 years ago. He was having dialysis in hospital three times a week before he finally got a call to say an organ was available. He's been chatting to Lucy. We'd had our own place. We just bought our own sort of, you know, that we was young. We was getting our own place together and things like that. And then I just got ill. Um, and I, I must admit, to start with, I wasn't sure what was wrong. And I just, I was that ill. I just thought the worst, you know. Um, and then when I, initially, then I actually went to the doctors and they said, you know, this is like you should be in hospital. So I then went straight to hospital. Um, and then I had uh, blood tests and stuff there, and I'd had like a mild heart failure because of the kidneys failing, and then they kept me there, and I sort of, it was a bit vague, but I went from there, I sort of, I was in hospital, and then from there I just stayed sort of in and out of hospitals, really. It was a shock because we were young, and it was just, yeah, too young for that, and we had a young family, and yeah, I just, and the other half, just, she just panicked and got upset all the time. I remember spending... Um, a, a night in hospital, a couple of, actually it was a few nights in hospital in Canterbury. And there was a guy there with all these tubes hanging out of his neck and everything. And I thought, oh my God, what is this? And what was it like being on the waiting list for a kidney transplant? I mean, how stressful was that for you and for your family yeah. as well? It's a weird thing, the list. I mean, um, initially I was told maybe, the thing is I was told it could be two weeks, could be five years, could be, you don't know, whenever it comes up. So it's a weird one because you're not actually... You know, I mean, I used to sit at home when I had the first call in September. Before that, I just thought it's a list, a never-ending list. You know, where to start with that? So I just sort of pushed it to one side and really didn't think about it because it's, I mean, you'd be waiting there forever, wouldn't you? You could be never, you know, get a kidney. And then when they rung in September, that changed everything. That was really stressful after that. 
because um, because I'd had a call, I realised that I could get another, you know, it could get a call just like that. Yeah, it was stressful because I was waiting every night after that call in September and I went home, my phone was on constantly and it was stressful, uh, you yeah, know, mentally and physically drained because we was waiting for a call and, I mean, it's a bizarre thing. I mean, you get a call and you, and you know within two hours you're going to be on the operating table or within a few hours you're going up for a major op. But um, I was all right. But I think more so for the family, you know, my partner, more stressful for her. My second eldest boy, he was 19 at the time, um, and I used to do football coaching with him. I used to coach at Margate, and I was their manager for years. You know, I did it with all the lads growing up since they were eight. Um, and I struggled with it because I ended up sort of uh, giving that up after six or seven years, watching them all grow up and coaching them. Um, it just got a bit much. I was trying to squeeze everything in with the illness and stuff. What's it been like since you've settled in with this new kidney? How's it changed your life? What are you able to do now that you weren't before? Yeah, I mean, loads of stuff. I mean, as I say, I'm, uh, I've got my own building company. So I've been doing, I mean, the hospital said don't do anything for six months, which is fair enough because it's heavy lifting and it's all this, that and the other. But, I, you know, I like to, I'm active. I can get up and about now and move around and do stuff. And my recovery has been great, you know, really good. Even the hospital said, wow, you know, I mean, my kidney function keeps going up and down a little bit, but it's at 63% at the minute. And considering it was at 6% at one point, you know, unbelievable. And then what that does is it's just, it's giving me my life back. You know, it really has. It's, uh, it's, 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 I forgot what it was like to live, if you like I me. Mean. You know, I forgot how you should feel. I just, because it's so, it's so long and it's over years. Um, oh, yeah, it's taking, yeah, it's literally no joke. It's taking 20 odd years off me. You know, I feel great now. Yeah, and we can. And the other half, she's the same. She's like, you know, we're like twenty odd year olds again, and and it's just mentally and physically feel great. Kent Online reports: People living in part of Ashford say they've been left prisoners in their own homes after bus services were cut. Stagecoach has stopped serving the Little Burton area of Kennington because of a drop in passenger numbers. Well, Jodie Bruce lives there and says she specifically moved to the area because of its bus links. And Jodie's been speaking to our reporter, Leanne Castle. We finally found out about a week before they, they stopped. Up until that point, we had been promised that, uh, that our, our estate wouldn't, wouldn't be affected. Yeah. And how did you feel when you found out? Absolutely <laughs> devastated. Just could not believe that we'd been let down like that. And how often did you use the buses? Nearly every day. So what kind of impact has it had on your life? Oh, an immense impact. Um, I Now, since it's been like this, I've been into town once a week. Um, I had thought about going in or going up to visit Bybrook Barn, but the, the thought of um, doing both ways, I and mean, it's 10, 15 minutes walk each way, um, buying shopping and having to carry that with me, uh, it's just put me off, so I've, I've stayed here. So do you feel quite isolated? Terribly isolated, yes. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you feel that way? Well, <laughs> it's bad enough when you're on your own. Um, the loneliness... Uh, I don't think it's it's describable. People don't understand. They say lonely. They don't understand the word. Um, and just to get out, even if you are just with other people, don't speak to other people, is, is vastly important. It feels as if you are part of something rather than just being sitting here on your own with your own thoughts going around your head, 
which isn't good for you. Um, I'm actually under the mental health anyway, so it, it's certainly not done me any favours. Talk to me a little bit about the older generation and what it means for people who don't have that mobility. They're, they're housebound. They're housebound. I know a couple of people um, who could manage to get to the bus stop. Um, in fact, I know one lady who, she's so desperate to get out of the house, um, she would get on the bus in the morning, she would go to Canterbury or she would get off and she would go to Faversham. She would do the bus ride, come back again because she couldn't go around the town, but it was something to get her out of the house. Uh, she can't do that now, so she's housebound. And, and I can think of several other people that are in the same position. And I know on the phone you were saying as well you'd like to do a protest, which means a bit about what you're going to do going forward. I would love to, if I could, there's nowhere here we, we can arrange for a meeting for people to get together to talk about it. Um, but yes, if we could get people together and, and do a demonstration, um, go in front of, of, of Ashford Borough Council, you know, say demanding that, you know, we have our bus back. Because um, living in a town, I think it's our right that you do have some kind of, of transport. Some of that interview really was pretty heartbreaking. Well, we've had this statement through from Stagecoach. We operated a commercial bus service through Little Burton for many years, but after the pandemic, passenger numbers have fallen away and sadly there's no longer enough bus use in the area to support a regular service. It's a difficult decision for us to make because we know the impact it may have on individual people who used the bus, but without a funding stream to underwrite the cost of running the service, we cannot continue to provide it. By making this change, we can help put our service offering on a sustainable footing and refocus our available resources on maintaining core bus links in the area. We remain absolutely committed to working with the County Council to find solutions for communities where commercial bus services are unviable. This is one of our most read stories on the website today. A mum's hit out at a Gravesend school's decision to ban Patlock. Lunches. Teachers at Bean Primary have made it compulsory for all children in reception to have free school meals. But Faye Armitage's little girl is lactose intolerant. Although she's been told she can fill in a special dietary request form, she feels that's discriminatory. Well, she's told Kent Online her daughter's diet needs monitoring and she was able to do that by sending in her own food. In a letter to parents, the head teacher says the quality of meals is excellent and there were no issues with the policy when it was brought in last year. The County Council has confirmed there's no obligation on schools to allow packed lunches. A building in Dover that was used by Banksy for one of his most famous works is being demolished. The Brexit-inspired art appeared on the side of the property on Bench Street in 2017 and was later whitewashed over. Well, the building's being flattened to make way for a new creative centre. The council say they're attempting to see if the work can be conserved in any way. And an old police station in Kent could be turned into a studio, exhibition space and cafe. The Uni of Kent have put in plans to convert the Grade 2 listed building building within Chatham's historic dockyard. If approved, part of the three-storey building would be demolished with an extension added. Kent Online Sports. We've got some cricket for you and Kent Zach Crawley is leading a new look England team today. They're taking on Ireland in three one-day matches. Well, most of the first team are getting ready for the World Cup, so Zach says some emerging players are getting a chance and he's been chatting about being captain. Yeah, I was shocked. Um, 
yeah, I was just hoping to get in the team and play more for England and told me I was captain. Like you say, I'm very excited and it's a great opportunity for me. That was Zach speaking ahead of today's match, which is taking place at Headingley. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing and to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. Whilst you're on the site today, you can read a special report from Chris Britcher on whether all residential roads in Kent could become 20 mile per hour zones in future. Lots of you already having your say. Don't forget, you can leave a comment. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.